0: Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Tuesday, June 9th, and I'm your host, Emily Flippin. For today's consumer goods focused episode, I have Jason Hall, back with me again to revisit a company that we discussed earlier this year that recently made a successful debut as a public company. Jason, thanks for joining me again.
1: Absolutely. It's interesting to circle back to this. It's, it's weird. It seems like it's a year ago that, that we first talked. So I mean, you know, COVID, I don't think, was really even on our radar very much. And it was kind of a thing that was happening a little bit in China. And man, whew, <laughs> here we are three months later.
0: Yeah, the last time we talked about Warner Music Group, which is the stock we're going to be talking about today, I mean, it was only a few months ago. I think it was back in February. It was early the February. The world yeah. is wow. Oh, the world has really changed since then.
1: Mm-hmm. It has. And it has. And I think yeah. it delayed. It delayed the uh, the IPO a little bit. They kind of obviously <laughs> kind of waited for things to normalize a little bit. And this is one of the biggest IPOs of the year so far, right?
0: Yeah, and actually, the last time we talked about Warner Music Group, we were so concerned about the IPO landscape for 2020 versus 2019, and that feels so trivial now.
1: Completely. It absolutely does.
0: But yeah, I guess throughout all of this craziness, even though they did have to delay their IPO, Warner managed to get themselves out there on the public markets. And, you know, I don't know if you agree with me on this, Jason, but I feel like this is one of those underreported or undercovered IPO stories. It's one of the biggest, but between all the news about COVID, market turmoil, the protest here in the United States, it feels like this just slid under the radar.
1: Yeah, it, it kind of did. Um, I. Um you know I've, I haven't followed it super closely since you know everything happened. I also cover the, you know, the oil and gas industry and things have been in such turmoil there. and commercial real estate things have been so bizarre because a usually safe business has been flipped upside down um, that I kind of add to your point because it is so undercovered. I was just kind of flipping through some trade some trade journal websites that I try to visit you know a couple times a month and I saw I saw the headline. Um, like, the day before they ipo I'm like, wow, this is happening. And um, I was actually talking to our colleague, Dan Klein, um, about um, the rundown, one of the other TMF Live programs that he does, and he was looking for a spot, like a five-minute thing to talk about. And I said, hey, let's talk about it. And um, we talked about it the day before the IPO, or actually, it was the day of the IPO. And uh, that's the same day that I messaged you I said, hey, this is, this is happening. So, that's been like, that was last week, you know, it's happened. It seems like it went from just off the radar to, hey, this is done, it's happened. So, it's been, been really interesting.
0: Yeah, and, and so before we get into whether or not the IPO, I I guess say met the expectations that you had and, and maybe had all the way back in February. For anybody who didn't listen to that episode, um, who is you know living under a rock and has no idea what music is, maybe tell us what Warner Music Group does.
1: Yeah, so so the the music publishing industry uh, is is giant, right? And it's in every corner of the world, um, but in a lot of ways, it's kind of dominated. Uh, by just a few companies. Uh, And Warner Music Group is one of the big three. Uh, It's the third largest uh, record label in the world um, behind Universal Music Group, which is um, wholly owned by Vivendi, um, which we'll talk about. There's some things going on there with Universal Music and behind Sony Records. So um, it's one of the big three. Um, And its business is managing music content, selling it, And uh, signs signs artists to their to its various labels, um, and it takes a cut of everything that gets sold. Um, So its distribution is really, I guess, the best way to describe the majority of 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 what it does. It's the it's the business that that gets the music to the various ways that we consume it, which is as as we know, uh, more and more shifting towards streaming. Right. So you think about Spotify, Pandora. Apple Music, uh, but also still f- uh, physical media sales. Uh, vinyl is is a big growing business and has been for, you know, about five or ten years. You know, it's it's an interesting thing that swung back. But uh, you know, this is the company that's in between us and the artists. I guess is the best way to put it.
0: And before we came on and started to record this episode, Jason, I think you were having a conversation with Brian Ferraldi, and Brian asked you, okay, what what's your favorite artist that's represented by Warren Music Group, and you had a fun fun response. So I kind of want to give our listeners the opportunity to hear your take on some of their more popular or less popular artists.
1: Yeah, so the the main thing that I told that I told uh Brian was the the, the part of the business that I like the the that I like a lot is Warner Chapel, which is uh, kind of a collection of legacy older music. Um I you know, I love the I love the older stuff. Um but uh you know, that's th- this is again, this is one of the third largest uh labels in the world. They have you know, so you think about electro music. Uh, you think about Atlantic, you know, Atlantic Records. So you think about some of those those labels that have been been around forever. So Rhino is one. If you listen to oldies, um, is 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 hugely, you know, is 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 full of you know, some some of the biggest names out there. Um, you you name a you name five stars, and probably two of them uh, are are signed to Warner. It's it's a very, very, again, it's one of the big three.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so, with that in mind, has this IPO maybe met the initial expectations that you had?
1: I, I think it did. Um, if, you, if you look at where it ipo um I think the IPO price was $25 a share, which was near the high end of the range. Um, and when, you, when your IPO price is near the high end of the range, that's a successful IPO, right? <clears throat> if the IPO price is, is, a, is, is and here's, here's another way to look at it, too. Um, it was near the high end of the range, but the price has actually kind of skyrocketed since then. it's It's over thirty two dollars a share now. So in a way, you could say maybe maybe they underpriced it, right? Because that's a mm-hmm. typical idea of if the if the price quickly moves above or below the the IPO range, then the question is, did they really necessarily price it well? Um, but I think, in general, they did, because this is a weird market, right? Stocks just go up now, right? That's <laughs> that, so, um, so, there's a little bit of that, but I think, in general, it was. But again, you have to remember who benefited from the IPO, right?
0: Yeah. And, and let's talk about that, because we mentioned it briefly when we talked about Warner Music Group back in February, about why they were going public, and it was kind of a unique scenario.
1: Yeah, so Warner Music um, has been publicly traded in the past, Um, and it actually has continued to issue uh, SEC filings, quarterly and annual filings, because it has publicly traded debt. Uh, But when it went when it went private um, back in twenty eleven, so about nine years or so ago, it was acquired by a company called Access Industries, which is kind of a, a broad. It's a it's a privately held company that's pretty broad based that owns. Companies and a lot of different businesses, um, not not really a ton of stuff in entertainment, to be honest with you. So this was kind of a just a, just a kind of an outside of its normal ownership business. Uh, but the thing that's interesting about it is that it's kind of a consistent cash flow business. So anyway, the back to the question, the point of of this IPO was not to raise money for Warner Music. It was a partial cash in for Access Industries. So the entire proceeds for for this public offering went to Access Industries, which is almost entirely controlled by a single individual. Um, and so it was a successful it was a successful IPO in terms of that cash in in terms of raising capital for Access Industries. But Warner Music will is is still you know completely. Uh, controlled by, by Access Industries and um, and its related parties that own, I think, around 87% of its shares, so they still overwhelmingly control the company. Uh, they just they were able to to you know, to to kind of take advantage and monetize um, a, a small portion of that.
0: And one could argue that this is becoming relatively normal in the music space right now. And you alluded to this earlier by mentioning Vivendi. But tell us what's going on with them and, and Universal Music Group.
1: Yeah, so uh, Universal Music Group is the, is the largest record label in the world. It's the largest music company in the world. And it's wholly owned, well, was wholly owned up until you know not very long ago by Vivendi, which is the, French, uh, the large French um, media company. And they, it's, I think it's been more than a year, uh, Vivendi has been working on trying to find a way to sell part of its stake in Universal Music Group. Um, and it went through a long process, engaged uh, a number of bankers, and my guess is they probably met with two or three dozen potential interested investors. And they finally reached a group with Tencent, which is uh, the Chinese, Chinese company, uh, to sell Tencent Ten percent of Universal Music Group, um, and I think the the part of the idea there was number one they could monetize part of it right raise capital because Vivendi carries a ton of debt and is very acquisitive so additional capital they can get their hands on is is handy, um, but also because the idea is that with Tencent being a Chinese company is is to help leverage its presence to grow their their Chinese business with Chinese artists and get more. Access to a market that has a massive, massive middle class that's growing very, very quickly. Right, Tencent actually has has the option to buy an additional 20, an additional 10%, and potentially up their stake to 20% of Universal Music Group, and it was valued at a 30 30 billion euro uh, enterprise value. So that's the market capitalization plus debt, Um, and I think uh, I think right now the market. Market value for um, for Warner for Warner is the enterprise value is about eighteen point three billion, or about three billion of that's debt. So just for some context in terms of the relative size um, of the business. But here's the big thing: Universal Music Group announced as part of the deal with uh, with Ten that in twenty twenty three, at the latest, they said by twenty twenty three at the latest, uh, that, that they intend to take Universal Music Group. Public to IPO it, so that's that's an interesting one. And and since since Vivendi is publicly held, my guess is, depending on how they structure the IPO, um, if they structure the IPO to spin part of Universal Music Group out, then shareholders of Vivendi would receive shares of. Of Universal Music Group, it's a tax-free way to to return value to uh, to Vivendi shareholders. But again, we don't know exactly how they're going to do it. They have a couple years to figure it out. Um, but I think it's interesting because it is part of a trend that we see, where these companies that got absorbed or and pulled private um, at some point are now getting spun back out. And I think we're going to see a cycle of that. It's going to continue through uh, perpetuity. Right? It's just it's it's the nature of media mm-hmm. companies.
0: And you mentioned briefly the enterprise values of these companies. And and earlier you mentioned that it's possible that given the success of Warner Music Group's IPO, that it's possible they just price themselves too low right now. But Warner Music Group is is a sixteen billion dollar in terms of market cap business. Uh, but even though it's a big three player in the space, it's still really low margin. And you know, there's a sense that you can only split a dollar so many ways, you're fighting over pennies after some point. But do you think this this IPO is underpriced and it's just reflecting its true value? Or do you think that maybe this stock is reaching overvalued territory?
1: I would lean more towards it reaching overvalued. Um I I think so a couple things, right? So the music business has changed a little bit with with the advent of streaming. Um, you know, if you were to go back even to the last, you know, financial crisis that the world went through, media sales were still, you know, a pretty large portion of music sales were still physical media, right? People were actually still buying albums, buying CDs. Um, you know, I, um, uh, the Apple you know, store, um, uh, what do they call it back then? That was the when you bought the iPod Store, whatever they called it. I can't even remember back then. But <laughs> but people bought you were buying music from Apple, right? And you'd buy a song at a time. So it was a little. bit the key was people were physically choosing to actively buy music versus the current model, which is streaming, which you can do like a Pandora or something that's for, that you don't have to pay anything for and you listen to ads. But then there's also Apple Music and Spotify where you pay a monthly subscription, right? So I think the thing that's that's starting to shift is. People are, I think, going to be less likely to cut that that monthly subscription right now because they still want to have their music right. Entertainment tends to be kind of counter cyclical in certain ways, um, so I think I think maybe there's a little bit of a view that this is a, a kind of a little bit of a flight to safety because music should hold up well, right? And it's a pretty steady cash flow business, right? The margins are slim. I think the gross margins. Uh, over the trailing 12 months, or excuse me, the profit margin was like three and a half percent, right? So it is a pretty thin, uh, low-margin business. But in terms of cash flows, operating cash flows, you know, this is a company that you know, can kick off, you know, between four and five hundred dollars a year in operating cash flow, and turn part of that back into a dividend, using again using the leverage of that of that debt balance um, to to kind of create some additional operating leverage. Um, and then pay a dividend. The dividend yield is like one percent right now, based on the forward yield at, at recent prices. So I tend to think it's—I do tend to lean more towards it being a little bit overvalued right now. Again, simply because I think there's been some flight to the perceived safety of of, of this kind of business. Um, I, as far as did they price it well? Yeah, I think so. It's just—it's hard to know right now. things are weird.
0: Mm-hmm. I see in my notes here that I wrote down one of the questions I wanted to ask you was about COVID. And as you were speaking, I was thinking to myself, why did I write that down? And then I remembered that explicitly in Warner's most recent filing, they had mentioned that they did not expect to see any negative impacts as a result of this pandemic. And I remember thinking to myself, I think this is the first company <laughs> that has come out and said, nope, everything's the same for our business. So do you agree? Do you think that there's going to be no impact from COVID, or do you think there maybe there's positive impact from from this pandemic?
1: I do. I do think um, that if there if there is anything on the negative side, it would, it would be minimal, and it would only be mm. if we saw a really sustained, more permanent impact economically uh, that affected even this kind of business that tends to be relatively countercyclical, right? Um, I and I do. I do. I do tend to think that there could be some positives because, I mean, think about Disney Plus as a, as, a, as a product that was expected to do well when it was first announced, right? And when it first rolled out, it did quite well. And then everybody in America was told, you have to stay home. And it blew up, right? The number of subscriptions just absolutely exploded. And I think to a certain extent, you could see some potential uplift for the Warner Music's and the Universal's of the world simply because more people are going to be interested in subscribing to uh, a music a music service, right? I think the mm-hmm. the the question is when you start thinking about the ad supported music platforms, the 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 economics change because companies aren't advertising right now. Ad spend dollars. If you if you if you're curious about that, read Alphabet's latest earnings. They you know they and look at, and they talk about how ad spending dollars have changed. Um, it's that so I think that could potentially underpin the economic economics of some of their uh some of the the distributor their the the stream streaming services but for the paid services yeah I think I think it's a potential tailwind I really do and that and that carries back to the the if you own the content or if you have the license for the content like Warner does you're kind of in the winning in the winning position right
0: yeah and you said you're at talked earlier with with Dan Klein on the rundown about this IPO when you first realized that the company uh, had in fact successfully gone public or is it planning to go public immediately and it's funny because I had also had a conversation with Dan which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with because Dan's a frequent visitor on industry focused consumer goods I should really call him the host that's how <laughs> often Dan is on uh, and and but I told Dan that I was Doing this episode with you, he was very negative. He has some very strong negative opinions about this portion of the music industry. And it reminded me a little bit of companies like Live Nation that have such a chokehold on live events and and ticketing. Mm -hmm. But when push comes to shove, you're probably buying your ticket over Live Nation and paying the outrageous fee because what's your alternative? So is Warner Music one of those businesses that genuinely has no real alternative, or is this a a industry that's rife for destruct or disruption?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm old enough to remember when Pearl Jam uh, tried to do a a like a worldwide tour without using Ticketmaster. I mean, this is mm. 25 years or so ago. And it was an absolute disaster, right? I mean, it was because the distribution is a key, right? If you're trying to if you're trying to attain access to a large market, scale is hugely important, right? And and I think as much as technology has has disrupted uh, the music industry, you know, think about Apple, right? Think about the iPod. Think about um, how how disruptive that in in a way that. The technology disrupted you know the music industry, and then Apple disrupted that technology to make music cheap and accessible versus um, the, the, you know, the all the IP theft that was going on uh, before that. you know making it a dollar, you can buy a song, and you don't feel bad and you're not stealing it anymore. So technology kind of saved the the, the labels, right? But I think the way things are now because of the scale of the industry, and if I'm Spotify. I I have to I have to have the big three, right? I I can't because I'm not I'm not valuable as <clears throat> as, a, um, as a as a as Spotify because if the music leaves the li- the listeners leave right? I mean the the, mm-hmm. the entire value of my platform is having access to music that people want to listen to right? So I don't I don't necessarily know that that translates to to pricing power for for Warner again because there there are other you know it's the smallest of the big 3 um but it has leverage you know to to get on to get on every single platform because it's the one that's in demand uh i think where i'm i'm negative on on this industry as a group is it's kind of uh you know it's kind of a microcosm of society in a way that you have you know thousands and thousands of artists uh who struggle to make ends meet um who who You know, know, they they're making no money right now because they make money touring, right? They make money performing music. That's how they make a living, and distribution of their content is kind of how they create awareness. You know, there's just not a lot of money. If you're not a big, if you're not, you know, in the Hot 100 on a regular basis, you're you're as an artist, you're not making money on your music. That's just the way it works. And it's 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 streaming has kind of exposed that even more. So, yeah, I don't, I don't love that about the business, um, because it's basically these three companies that make the money um, on the music, and the artists make their money when they go and perform.
0: Yeah, and it, it's a hard sell to have someone be invested in a company that they may actively dislike, right? right? Yeah. So, is it fair to say that you you are not a shareholder, that you're not eagerly buying shares, or did I misinterpret?
1: No, I'm I'm not I'm not a shareholder, and I'm not particularly interested in buying. Um, and it's not just because, so music's I'm a huge music guy. I love music, and and I like the idea of having an economic interest in some part of that value chain. But for me, the, the thing that I come back and struggle with is I think about with Warner, <clears throat> you still, as an investor, you have essentially no say in the business, right? You know, the, 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 the pri- private, private equity still owns, you know, very close to 90% of the business, 87% and change. Uh, so, you, you know, you have no vote and you have no voice. <clears throat> and it's hard to say that your economic interests are going to be aligned. With them, and it creates the scenario where some let's say something happens and cash flows change or they decide to add a little more debt and take on some leverage, and then the next thing you know they're losing money and shareholders and they cut the dividend and shareholders sell, and the price falls, and it falls below the iPO price or it falls you know twenty five thirty percent from today's price. A couple years go by it's a middling muddling business, and access industry says. Okay, we're gonna buy it back. We're just gonna reacquire it. And they reacquire it for below the IPO price, right? I just there's so many things that I don't like about just everything about the way that it's structured, it's just not particularly appealing. It doesn't offer prospects for you know high rates of growth, even though the streaming's gonna grow. You think about Africa, India, China, these opportunities for middle class growth that could drive revenues growth over time and cash flows growth it just it it doesn't appeal to me as as the kind of investment that has the prospects to either outperform the market over the long term or offer some other meaningful benefit like a high dividend yield that i can count on to generate income so it just it doesn't it does it's just not a try it's elevator music how does that sound
0: <laughs> well that sounds nice and it does feel like to me as you were talking that I could make a more compelling argument to own companies that I like more in other aspects of the value chain, companies like Spotify or even a Tencent Music Entertainment, which Tencent recently spun off uh, with the potential for that agreement with Vivendi to maybe result in some tangible change in the music business in China. So I agree. I'm not sure if 12% revenue growth is really going to do it for me here. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. And hey, maybe in a year we'll come back and we'll be totally wrong about Warner. We'll have to do an update episode.
1: I'm willing. To, I'm willing to take that uh, to take that risk. I'm also interested to follow this universal uh, this universal story too.
0: Yeah, it's definitely an interesting industry to be watching right now. You're
1: singing, listeners. You're singing my tune, Emily Flippin.
0: <laughs> I wish I was full of good puns like you are. I'm not that <laughs> quick-witted, unfortunately. <laughs> Uh, Jason, thank you again, and, and listeners, that does do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or just want to reach out, you can always email us at industryfocus@fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the screen today. For Jason Hall, I'm Emily Flippin. Thanks for listening and Fool on!